Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I've got George Belshaw with me and Calvin Betton. We're going to go through everything that's been going on in the last week in tennis, both on and off the court. I suspect we might spend a little bit more time talking about off the court than on it, but that's just the way things are sometimes and that's where... All the good juices anyway. We'll talk about Boris Becker, Emma Raducanu, Saudi Arabia, Ben Shelton, Alexander Bublik, Arthur Feast maybe, um, and the best doubles pair in Europe, I think it's fair to say now, Stefanos and Petros Tsitsipas. Um, but we'll maybe not spend too much time on that. And there's lots more to talk about as well. Um, I've no doubt, I usually say this at the end and say we haven't got through everything I'm going to say at the beginning, we're definitely not going to get through everything today, and I apologise in advance, but we are we are of limited time, uh, but we'll do our very best. As always, uh, if you leave us a five-star review, I insist that I will always read it out. Um, two of you have in the last couple of days, so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, Janeor, well, I don't, I'm, it's, it's come from Spain, so I don't know if I've pronounced that right, so I apologise. Uh, Janeor says, serious and fun. So happy I found this podcast. I'm a big fan of tennis and I learn a lot listening to the podcast team. They present the show both funny and seriously. British humour adds points here. Uh, and Ciao for Now says, fun and enjoyable. Love the latest episode. Interesting about the gear. Uh, I assume he means trainers, <laughs> not... Uh... Yeah, we didn't talk about doping last week, did we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Calvin did admit to being a coke addict, but that, I think, might have been something quite different. I'm not, not quite sure. Well, we spoke about the doping of the Guinness. So, <laughs> yes, and I did enjoy. Um, I think we potentially had a comment on YouTube about that who enjoying the Guinness stories. Um, and yes, any other stories of sport, casual sporting doping, I would be very much interested in hearing about. Um, let's let's start with a, a question, I suppose, um, because Heather's been in touch on email. If you want to email us, it's tennisunfiltered at gmail dot com, and uh, we'll do our best to to include your questions in the podcast. And at that point, in my desperation to read Heather's email, uh, some slightly strange technical gremlins appeared that may or may not have been caused by me, for which I can only apologise. Um, 
I'm going to have to fill in a gap here, which is the email that Heather did send in. Um, she said, hi, James, just wondered if at any some stage you could explain about participation fees. I thought these would only apply to exhibitions, but if I understand the above article correctly, and she links to an interview with Hedvig Straker, the tournament director in Vienna, who says that he basically didn't get Carlos Alcaraz because he wouldn't pay the £700,000 fee that Alcaraz is demanding. Um, they and then Heather resumes they seem to apply to regular tournaments too do all top players charge fees would love to have Tennis Unfilter's thoughts on this thanks for email Heather um, I then asked George whether he had continued his campaign that I knew he had for a long time to make sure that more players uh, would reveal when they were getting paid participation fees and here's what he had to say in response quite fascinated me uh, within tennis James um, you and it was always something that was quite difficult to get your hands on perfectly exact figures. You'd hear kind of rumours about Federer being offered like £2 million to play Rotterdam, I think was one of the ones at the time that was kind of kicking around. And I, I, I'm fairly sure, and this was a few years ago, so forgive me if I've got the, the context of the tournament wrong, but I'm fairly sure Rotterdam were bidding against another rival tournament that week because it was the week Federer was going to be something like 300 weeks at world number one or, or something, or oldest ever world number one at the time or something. So there was an extra, whatever, 500 grand or a million in his in his penny purse than he'd normally demand from an appearance fee because he and his agent suspected um, a small tournament like Rotterdam might have a little treat. Um for uh, kind of pulling them along. So it's generally speaking, some of the smaller 250, 500s, in my experience, who are trying to lure a, a top player. And that, that amount will vary quite a lot. I've heard things like, and again, this is complete hearsay and not wonderfully reported facts before anyone tries to claim I'm spouting truth. But uh, great. Love made up gossip, George. Go made for up it. gossip is my favourite. But there was, there was, it was quite interesting hearing some of the figures or attributes of the names. There was, I, I think someone once said to me that Zverev was trying to command a fee of kind of north of 800 grand. Um, and I one or two might have paid him that, but some were kind of turning their nose up. And it was quite interesting. And this is what I mean about really getting under the, the skin of this, it'd be interesting to kind of see the accounts and what the range of players command, you know, does a, it, it might put us to the test, Nick, Nick Kyrgios's theory of how valuable he is compared to other stars, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how much it's happening right now, but generally speaking, I would say if you're a top 10 player with some good titles under your belt with people know who they are, there's probably some sort of fee typically involved probably not in the scale we're talking about for roger and co a million is definitely high high up on the scale but trying to get you along to them well hedwig straker in vienna talking about you know alcaraz basically what doesn't get out of, <laughs> he essentially said alcaraz doesn't get out of bed for less than seven hundred thousand euros um or i think it was eight hundred thousand euros i've seen so many different currencies kicking around but that's the kind of ballpark we're talking which is obviously a lot of money for a week's work in which you're also then going to get paid over and above. Calvin, I imagine it's something, it's a bit of an omerta in tennis. People, if anyone is getting paid an appearance fee, it's always sort of whispered behind their back rather than anyone coming in and saying, I'm getting 200 grand to be here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess this is the value of having an agent who represents other players. Again, most of them are represented by IMG. So then when they know what the going rate is. So when, when one tournament comes in for one player and they've, they, 
they can those agents can then go well i know you're playing so and so this much because i did the deal for them so that's what you can and again that's why i think one of the reasons i think it's a conflict of interest img being so involved in um so involved in in tennis but yeah i mean it's something i wish didn't happen it, it's a bit if they if like if all the tournaments said they're not going to do it then the players would have to play something so um you know You'd think so, yeah. Although, would it? You know, that's another thing. Would it, or would the tournaments just, you know, just just rack it up? It's one of the. It's that argument again, isn't it? Is it better off just going to the players anyway? But yeah, and I, I think broadly speaking, you know, that the tournaments considering it as a a trade off as if we pay this much money for a certain player who might attract a few more eyes on screws, a few more articles, etc., compared to not having someone like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure necessarily the money. Would would be shared around. Otherwise, it's probably more very uh, self-interested attempts to kind of promote and get it. I, I'd love to know actually if anyone can ever attribute a value to like paying Federer like say two million quid for Rotterdam. I mean, did either of you remember he had that big momentous moment in Rotterdam? It, it would, but it would have sold tickets. Yeah, sure, but I, I do wonder what the margins are for kind of tickets at these events sometimes like in terms of and that probably sounds like a bit of a silly thing to say but what's the ratio between tickets versus tv sales and you know what what the other kind of revenue streams like advertising and how much you know maybe it's more that kind of global sponsorship stuff that they can suddenly kind of say oh we're gonna have federer playing it's gonna be much more eyes on this can they do a last minute sort of advertising deal i don't know i don't really know the economics behind it but there must be something that is warranting this uh Spurge of money for certain players. It's also a bit. You know, it's a big risk as well. Like, who would you pay for now? If you're a tournament director, who would you pay for? Well, because Alcaraz you know, for sure. No, Alcaraz for 100. You pay for Alcaraz. You, 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 I'm saying you pay for Medvedev, but it's Medvedev pulling tickets in. Mm. Like you, you know. But on top of what I'm saying, on top of that is like you know, I don't know, mate. I'm sh- Holger Rune probably got some money to play Stockholm last week. He was out by Monday night. Yeah. Like, but then, you know, you like, probably, but then those tickets, like, like that risk is sort of um, like mitigated by the fact that those tickets were probably sold in advance by the fact that Rune is on the bill. That's that'll be the yeah, argument, I would imagine. But I think a lot of those tournaments, though, James, the two fifties. I think a lot they have a lot of walk up. I think because mm. yeah. I, I know last week there were a lot of people buying tickets on the door mm. um, because you don't, you know, you can't buy you can't really buy them in advance because certain players are playing. Cause you don't know which days they're going to play. Yeah, yeah. Unless you unless you're going to get semis and finals, which are all on the same, you know, which you know what days they're going to be. But this is what I'm talking about. The top, the top fifteen in the world now, with the exception of two or three players, are just unreliable. You wouldn't pay for like, would you pay for would you pay for Sitsipas at the minute? Would you pay for Zverev? Like they big names, you know, like Sinner maybe, but is Sinner selling you tickets? Mm-hmm. I guess to a certain, to, to probably the borderline tennis fan scene are selling you tickets, but in terms of actual people who are not tennis fans, who are definitely not buying tickets, but they would when they see these players there, it's probably Alcaraz, Djokovic. I mean, as much as it pays me to say, it probably is Kyrgios, but then again, <laughs> would you pay for him? Because you don't know how long you're going to get him for. Hmm. He's probably going to pull out. Kyrgios has no ethical or moral compass, so he would take the money and then pull out. 
like I'm, halfway through I'm the first sure, match. I'm sure there will be some strings yeah, about the money. It's only there if you actually pay. <laughs> well, <laughs> he can, no, but he could he could win a match and then pull out. Mm. Like, what's he going to do? That he could say, you know, that's all you got to do. You got to com- complete a match. He might not. He might go through and win the tournament. But what I'm saying is they're unreliable. The um, queens in the past um, got in a little bit of trouble. For it wasn't actually for kind of appearance fees so much, but it was for advertising players who might be there who uh, weren't there. Uh, I say trouble a bit loosely, you know, no one. But they got a bit, you know. They, every year they'd announce Nadal was part of the lineup to come and sell tickets and without fail straight after the French Open Rafa Nadal would pull out and, and, and at a certain stage they did just stop doing it even though they'd done the same thing in yeah. terms of agreed Nadal to play they just knew it was too unreliable and it, it, it did kind of seem in bad faith um, but yeah I mean it, it's an interesting practice I and I'm right. The... Sorry to interrupt you, George. But I'm right in saying queens have basically stopped paying big appearance fees. Like they've kind of taken a different approach to things, right? Yeah, I, I think that I think that's right, and I think that's probably why you're looking at Haller versus Queens in less favourable terms at, yeah. at, at the moment. Um, not not again that I have any amazing inside track on that, but just some whims. Um, also, yeah. Queen sells out any anyway, right? Like, exactly. it's not it's not a very big tournament in terms of seats because it's a smallish venue and it's always full because it's an event. And I think that that is kind of, going to kind of be the point I was going to make that you, you wouldn't really need appearance fees for a lot of the very biggest events anyway because they're you know they're in the calendar for a long time. They're, they're more than the tennis is about the kind of day out, if you like. So it really is only a market for a lot of these smaller events where they're thinking how are we going to plug this one this year how are we going to some tickets, yeah. make this look a bit better um but yeah it's interesting it'd be lovely to see a, a list of this you know what were those what was that russian site that used to hack into all financial oh, accounts yeah. and just start posting monkey? Monkey. bear bear oh, no, uh, bear was bear was the tuis wasn't it fancy bears or something. yeah yeah Tui's, the travel T-U-I's company. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a huge hack of package holidays. <laughs> the secrets of package holidays are revealed. Uh, yeah, if anyone could, if anyone fancies uh, hacking a load of participation fees data and leaking it to Tennis Unfiltered, we'll we will promise them anonymity. I'll take them to the grave. Um, but yeah, I, so I'm sort of just I I wanted to talk about it because Heather's asked about it and it's it's a rare what thing that someone comes out and says. By the way, this is how much someone is asking for. Um, but I'm afraid Heather, the answer is to an extent. Yeah, we really don't know who charges what. But yeah, it's right to say George that obviously they don't get appearance fees at slams, and I guess Masters 1000s are mandatory. So like, why would you pay anyone an appearance fee? But yeah, it's it's very much the the 500s and 250s that find themselves having to do so uh, and Calvin you, you mentioned uh, Holger Rune out in Stockholm last week you, you were there um, give us your kind of it's your first time in Stockholm I think give us your assessment of the event the, the tennis aside um, what, how did you find the, the whole experience uh, yeah it's funny you forget in these some of these big indoor events how the thing what always stands out to me, the first one I always go to each year after having done basically all the summer, is that you you enter in the morning because you generally practice in the morning. So you enter and then you don't leave. 
especially as a doubles coach, the doubles players, you don't leave till later. So in that place, especially because there were no windows, <laughs> it was you, you basically didn't see any daylight or, you know, you were just inside for, you know, 10 hours. Yeah. I suppose you practice twice or, you know, get lunch there, maybe get dinner there. And that's something that always shocks me the first time I go to one of the bigger outdoor, uh, indoor tournaments. And this one was particularly unique. So it was a huge building that had, I think, I mean, in terms of, they had much more, they had loads more practice uh, courts when the tournament's not on it. So it's actually a tennis center. It's the national tennis center in Stockholm. Mm. Um, but they had six courts maybe, or five courts, two match courts and three practice. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of bars and um, corporate areas and that kind of thing. Um, good, good it was a good event. Court ratio. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, it was a good event. Yeah. Um, again, you you got a feeling there was a lot of tennis fans there. It was a small centre court, actually. Yeah. I mean, I've been in. I've been to bigger centre courts at Challengers in in France, um, where they'll put tournaments on in arenas. Now they don't yeah. get as many crowd. They don't get. Well, some of them do actually. Some of them fill those um, stadiums, but um, yeah, it was it was a good event. Yeah, um, mm. I know a lot of players weren't happy about the speed of the courts and the speed of the balls, which we discussed uh, last week. Uh, in that yeah. context, I'm pretty surprised to see Gael Monfils winning the title, uh, albeit not in a, a stellar singles field after after Holger Rune was beaten by Mayamir Kekmanovic in the first round, but. Any any surprise to see Monfils winning in those conditions, Calvin? Um, I mean, it's just he's he's got pedigree, hasn't he? You know, you forget about Monfils because he's a bit of a joker and everyone loves him. But, you know, he's a hell of a tennis player. Mm. Like he's a legitimate. He's been legitimate top ten in the world for about ten years. So you, you know, it's um, he, he's a hell of a player. But I mean, one of the things that you know you always hear, and I'm not not sort of promoting this, but you always hear like the people who practice hard are the guys who win. And that kind of thing, and you know, we always see these clips of Nadal, like the way he practices. Like, I, you, I always forget. I've seen Monfils practice a few times, but you just forget just how slack it is. His practices. <laughs> I mean, it is. Federer was probably the most relaxed mm. I've seen. Federer, Federer was notoriously a terrible practicer. Yeah. Like sometimes he just wouldn't. He won't run in practice. He barely put the ball in court a lot of the time. But Monfils is right up there as well in terms of just terrible practices. But you know. That's what he does. I, I found it interesting. Um, I, I love going and watching players practice because I think you learn so much about their kind of just general demeanour, but also about them as people. And I remember going to watch Francis Tiafo practice in Australia and he basically got Jessica Pagula in to make him take it seriously. He was like, yeah, she she's pretty like she's pretty uptight in training, so it, it kind of helps because otherwise I just take the piss. And like he really does, just like stands on the baseline, like chatting with his coach and just like hitting the odd massive serve. But I mean, yeah, I know too. Felt like when when we were in Dallas earlier this year, we were on the next court to him practicing, uh, and he was doing his singles practice. We were practicing doubles, but we only had, we had three players practicing. We had Julian Henry, who I was there with, and I think we had another guy who was just. I think it, whoever it was was playing with maybe JP Smith. I think he was playing with a singles player or someone, someone else anyway. And like mid point, TFO just ran in and joined the doubles point on the next court um, and stayed for about four points and then left again. Um, so yeah, I'm sure how much focus there was on his own singles. Um, how far did he go? Uh, how far did he go? I think he lost to 
JJ Wolf. I think mm-hmm. I watched it. Yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, speaking of uh, training and coaches, I don't know. I was going to try and segue this, but I can't. Next topic, Boris Becker and Holger Runa. Uh, which is not the partnership we thought uh, we were going to get. It was announced a few hours after, Calvin, you had been on this podcast saying Holger Rune was in Stockholm without a coach and he really needs one. So I have no doubt that the appointment of <laughs> Boris Becker is going to get your full, your full support. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't see this working out. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I, I really don't. Somebody was asking me last week, you know, what... You know, but he's got quite a good pedigree as a coach, hasn't he? And it's the classic one, you know, he's worked with Djokovic. And I was like, yeah, he he, he took over the best player of all time, serial Grand Slam winning world number one. And for two years, carried he carried on being the best player of all time, world number one, serial Grand Slam winner. And when Becker left, he carried on being the best player of all time, serial <laughs> Grand Slam winner. So it's difficult because that's not a criticism of Becker. But it's hard to tell whether he had any impact at all on Djokovic. Like, like, like you can make I can make a pretty solid argument that he had zero impact <laughs> on Djokovic at all. Yeah, I mean, he, he, Djokovic at the time. It, it, if you look at how it was reported at the time, I th- I th- I'm pretty sure Becker, when he left, had won as many Grand Slams with Djokovic had when he'd started at something like six and six or five and six or something like that. So at the time, it was kind of reported as, you know, Djokovic had lost his way a little bit. You know, 2011 had been and gone and hadn't really quite found that brilliant form again. And Becker took him into a period of kind of dominance. Um, But then that has since, that narrative has changed quite dramatically since Djokovic has then gone on to double the total of Becker plus the previous bit since (laughs) and has now gone on to to 24. So it's funny you have time kind of changes things. Um, I mean, the other, his coaching pedigree aside, obviously one slight issue, and, and to be fair to Becker, he's kind of saying they've not signed a long contract because you never know, these things can end after a week sort of thing. But he's not allowed in the UK at the minute, is he? So he, he won't be coming to Wimbledon. Yeah. You think, I mean, 
my dad actually mentioned this to me earlier on. I was talking to my dad about it because he I loved Becker, but also finds it hilarious that he got done for fine night. My dad <laughs> loves to see the downfall of anybody, so um, <laughs> particularly enjoyed that. Even somebody we particularly thought was brilliant. Um, but um, from Yorkshire, um, yeah. Um, and I say, you know, there's got to be a way around that, hasn't there? You know, it's like, what, what's the worst that can happen on that? Like, he's, he's I mean, he, he, the sentence they the right? sentence they dished out initially was ridiculous, wasn't it? But well, yeah, like, you know, and it's like, say he wants to come back into, I mean, he's only really, I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to play two tournaments, isn't he? He's going to play Queens and um, Queens and Wimbledon. There's nothing yeah. else really here. And um, and you know, I, I was speaking to someone, and I understand that he, you know, he's still got all the trappings of Muratoglu around him, like. He's still got the same physical trainer. He's still got the same analyst. He's still, he's still got the same mum slash agent. Um, it's just a different head coach. So, I, you know, it's not a huge sea change. And the fact that Boris won't be able to come for a couple of weeks in the middle of next summer, if he lasts that long, is not that big. I mean, I, I, I don't know the legalities of it, but I'd find it bizarre if like, if, if they appealed it on the premise that it's his job that he coaches this, this particular tennis player, who's, by the way, is not, not a random tennis player. He's, he's, the, he's one of the top 10 tennis players in the world. Hmm. You know, I, I can't see how they'd argue, no, we're not going to let him in in case he commits some sort of fraud again yeah, like I in, don't, the, in I, the two weeks while he's here. So it's, I think it's because, I mean, I'm no expert on this, but he, he, it's under the terms of his licence. So, yeah, you probably can apply for special dispensation, but I think they'll probably look on it like I think the whole, as you say, Calvin. I think we're all surprised by the sentence and the severity of it, um, and I do think that the courts are trying to send a bit of a message about this stuff that like no one is above the law. I think I think Boris was a bit unlucky. If he hadn't been Boris Becker, I don't think he'd have gone to prison. But because he was Boris Becker, I think he yeah. got the sort of you know extra crack of the whip, and and I think. Given that, I think the courts would be very reticent to then go. Oh well, you know, you're coming to Wimbledon, so of course, I mean, yeah, no problem. We'll make work. Well, of course. I, I think going back to the actual coaching side of it, that I don't. I, I feel like I'm sometimes overly critical of Be- Becker because I loved him as well as a player. You know, he's probably the first player I can remember that broke through while I was into tennis. Mm. Um, you know, when I was very young, and I've said it. I've said it on the podcast before that when Becker's introduction into the game, when you think about it now, in terms of physicality, was size like we've never seen anything like it before. Like and, and the best way I can possibly describe it now, compared to what it was then when he arrived, is if suddenly in the next year there was a seventeen year old who was built like and the same size as Anthony Joshua. <laughs> came and sta- and and was good at tennis. <laughs> that's what you'd be looking at, and and that that's the difference in in what he did. So, um, but I feel like I'm always critical of him. But what what I will say about about him is that when he talk, when I hear him talk, when he commentates, yeah, I just don't find him compelling about the game at all. There's certain ex players like Career, I think, is quite good. I find Petch quite good sometimes, but I think Petch is a good coach as well. Um, you, you, there's certain people who you find are. I'm, I'm, you know, Brad Gilbert when he talks. I've been to a couple of seminars with Brad Gilbert, and he's just an intro. He's compelling about the game. Hmm. Becker for somebody who was so good. You look at why he was good though. He was just massive, and so powerful, and so athletic. It's not like anyone thought, you know, like this is a tactical genius here. What what he's bringing. He was just 
bigger than everybody else mm. and better than everybody else. And that's not that's not a criticism of him. He was brilliant. But Boris was brilliant. But I just don't see what he's going to bring. Now, what he might bring, I think, is... And I'm trying to think of the positives here. What he might bring is I think he's a serious person. Uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a multiple Grand Slam winner. And he's a hard man, was Boris Becker in his prime. And I think if, if Holger Rune needs to kick up the arse and needs somebody to, to lay the law down to him, then that might work. Mm. But on the flip side of that, I don't think Holger Rune wants that. I, th- I think that if that happened, from what I know about Holger Rune, and I don't know loads about it, but from what people tell me, if that happened, he'd just sack him. So I just don't see it working. Yeah, I mean, on, on a similar theme, I was going to say, the, the other thing that the, the fate phase of the super coach that people have tried to argue is having that person you really respect who you grew up watching and love but but Becker just feels too far away from Rude to have watched him, is that right? I mean I don't really remember I think Boris the Becker that, playing. I think the things that the things that Becker would in theory from that generation, George, they still stand. You know, and I don't think he's too old. Is, it, is that what you were meaning from a different no, generation? No, I just mean like in terms of like you think about Murray talking about Lendl, for example, and Djokovic will have had this more with Becker, potentially being able to say, oh yeah, but I you know, remember growing up seeing some of Becker in action. Whereas Rune is almost too, it feels like too many generations have passed for... Yeah, Rune I mean, but yeah. Becker will have retired before Rune was born. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the case, yeah. So I was, yeah. Going, yeah, I was just saying like, you know, that's the other kind of angle people have taken with the super coach, but that, that feels just too far a gap, really. So you can't imagine as much if, of that. I don't know if Murray would have, like, Lendl was, you know, like Murray, Murray was born in 87. Lendl was done by 90, pretty much, mm, yeah. in terms of actual a force in it. So I don't think that's necessarily important. But I'd, I'm intrigued to know whether Olga Runa doesn't strike me as the type of person who's open to whatever it takes. To, to, to you know I know okay, I'm not going to name the coach or the player but I know a player who's who's told the coach this was a few years ago now and he was a top he's not a British player he was a foreign player um, I, I, there's no reason why I can't name the player actually it, it was Borna Courage hmm. um, who told his coach right when it was Ryan Jones who was the coach he's a friend of mine um, Ryan told me that Borna Courage and his dad told him Whatever you need to do to get him where he needs to be, everything is on the table. Like, and that's, I don't mean like, you know, there's no, I mean, I'd hoping or anything like that. But no, that's not what I mean. Wire so, me up. Um, no, but he said, there's no, however you much you need to bollock him, however much home truths you need to tell him, if he's not working, you need to do that and he'll do it. Mm. And Ryan said that Borna Courage was phenomenal in that respect. That there was no arguments. He did whatever. It was like if if I whatever he said went. Holger Rune does not strike me as that type of person. Mm. Yeah, just on Borna Chorich, I think it's Chorich. Um, he he was at um, Boodles this year, and like as you know, Calvin Boodles is a, a bit of a, a hit and giggle. And uh, I was surprised to see Borna Chorich there because you know it didn't feel like his kind of event, but. Um, he went on court for his match, having done a full hour and a half before he went on court, like like flat out. He was dripping in sweat, walking onto court for his exhibition match. He took it incredibly seriously and did a half hour hit afterwards. And I then interviewed him and he sat like right next to me on this bench 
and I was like, I could taste the sweat on him. I've never seen a man like sweat so much. In a I mean, some people, some people are just like that. I know that like one of the doubles players, Jan Zelinski, who's top ten in the world, um, you made final of Aussie Open, and he's a Polish guy, and he's notoriously very, very intense. Um, and Luke was telling me that he played with him in Poland a few years ago, and they played against uh, a player and his coach in the first round who they just entered. And Luke and Jan were winning like 6-2, 5-1, 30-love. And the player who was who was playing with his coach chucked a lob up, and Jan's gone easy put away smash. And he's absolutely rifled it at the coach's head. <laughs> and the coach has gone like, what are you doing? And he's going, and, and Jan's gone, why wouldn't I do that? Like, like, and he's gone like, and the coach's gone, but you're winning easy. Like, you don't, you're winning this match in about two minutes. And he said that Jan couldn't, compre- Luke said Jan couldn't comprehend why you wouldn't do the same as you would do at eight all in the tie break. Like, it's like, we're in a match here. Why, why wouldn't eight you in the head? I would do that at eight all. And then he said, he said it was one of those bizarre arguments where they were both right. And the coach was like, there's no need to do it, though. He was like, you're, you're going to win. We're not even trying. And, and he said that Jan couldn't. And, and some people are just like that. Yeah. And again, but coming back to Olga Rune, I, I don't know. And this is not like I'm not saying he's not professional or anything. I don't know him well enough. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't see him as I don't see Boris Becker say he wants to lay some home truths down. I don't see that going down well hmm. in, in the Rune camp. Not only with him, but with his mum, who's very influential as well. But then, George, do you do you see Becker as that kind of... Because, you know, as I say, that there are other people around Runa um, who are going to be still involved. Do you see Becker as that kind of home-truths guy, or is he maybe a bit more of a... But Briggs always talks about Muratoglu as a great Svengali. Do you see, do you see mm. Becker as that kind of figure, maybe? I mean, I, yeah, I mean I've met Boris a, a few times, and... Uh, I can't say I've ever really considered <laughs> what what that would then translate into uh, into his kind of coaching prowess. I mean, I'm trying to trying to rack through my memory to think what Djokovic kind of said he added, but I think again, it, for Djokovic, and it, it's the same with Murray. You know, regardless of how much they actually watched him or not, there was a degree of respect and just Reverence. wanting someone who's been there in the big moments. I think you know. Holger Ruder does believe he's going to be in the big moments. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, he, he might see that. Where, where it's probably slightly different, or very different, is that Murray and Djokovic were both already in Grand Slam finals regularly at the top of the world. Ruder's got himself up to six or whatever, but he's not really come that close to winning a slam. And he's been in the worst form of his life for whatever the last three or four months, it, it doesn't feel quite the same fine tuning that a Murray or Djokovic perhaps needed of just a slight mental lift in big moments versus a guy who's, you know, it's really not going well at the minute. He needs a lot of work to get back up there. But but I guess from his perspective, Ruda, earlier in the year, we were talking about him being probably the closest challenger to Alcaraz in this generation. So, there's definitely a player in there and someone who believes he can go far. It's just a lot has gone wrong, and I'm not I'm not convinced Boris Beck is the man I would be bringing in at, at this stage. Um, even if you wanted that mental lift, he's had a bizarre year. 
It's had a bizarre year, hasn't he? Because it's around about this time last year that he just he went up a level. Well, he went up yeah. two levels, really. <clears throat> he won Stockholm and then he won Paris. Mm. Um, and he beat Djokovic in the final, didn't he? Mm. Um, yeah. And, and then and, and now he's been handed, having lost first round to Mayamir Kekmanovic in Stockholm, he, he's playing Mayamir Kekmanovic again in the Swiss yeah. indoors when it yeah. rains, it pours. I tell you, there's not many players I reckon who've got like a record again, a terrible record against all the Serbians except for one of them, and the one <laughs> who he hasn't got a terrible record against is Novak Djokovic. Yeah, exactly. Um, Very but odd. yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just. I think it's, I don't think it's a good move, but again, it feels like one of the I, tennis players. I just don't know what you know. We're going to talk a lot about coaching, I guess, in for the rest of this show because we got Raducanu as well. But I just don't know what they think of when they employ their coaches and what they want. And I don't get how you've landed at Boris Becker. <laughs> if you're well, I, don't, I do know. I suspect it's very much come from, and I think this is why it's happened. I think this will feed Ruger's ego, Runa's ego, which he does have. I assume it's come that Becker's made the move, that he's had his people contact Runa and say, well, you know, why don't we do this? I think, mm. and that does happen a lot. And I think, you know, that that's that's probably what's happened is that Runa's like the ego's getting massaged and thinks, oh, Becker wants... Um, and that's what happened with Lendl, to be fair. Lendl approached Murray. wasn't the other way around. Mm. I mean, I, I, I highly doubt Holger Runa's camp is, is this well thought out, but th- there is a PR benefit to this. This has been a big kind of story in the English media that really, how many big stories has Holger Rune probably had? You know, people know who Boris Becker is. If you're a guy who's... 1920 trying to make yourself appeal to a wider audience actually it's not probably not the worst pr move in the world even if you think it's just going to be for six weeks for a month having for the australian open get yourself fit over the winter doesn't really matter bit him off and then people still know you work for boris becker and will remember you going forward i mean i, what, I highly what, doubt that's why they've done it but it's... what do we reckon the date is how long does it last well, Becker wasn't even willing to commit to a week. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> it could be like one of those. Remember when Agassi was Djokovic's coach? And that lasted about three weeks, didn't it? I reckon if I had to put my money on it, I'd say February. That long? Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think how long Agassi Djokovic lasted for. Because I think it actually started in the winter and then he, he played till about the clay and then ditched Agassi. So he probably did get four or five months out of him. So I, I'd probably stick to something similar here. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he was still kicking around by the by the French Open, which would be a tournament Runa thinks he can go and win next year. Mm. Um, and he'll probably realise by then that he's got less of a chance with Boris in his ear than he's <laughs> Uh, yeah, we shall see. Let us, know, let us know on Twitter, at Unfilter Tennis. Uh, we'd love to hear when you think, how long you think uh, Boris Becker will last in Holger Runa's team. Um, if it was it's quite, a... I'll, I'll Sorry, say this, it, it, it's quite, it could work in Becker's favour, to be fair, because what he's done is he's got, and I do, I give Runa some stick on this, but I do think he's an excellent tennis player when, he's, when his mind's on it, um, and I'm certain he'll get back to that level. But what he's got is he's got probably... You know, over the last year, probably been one of the five best tennis players in the world in terrible form. And the fit, you know, you'd think that he's got to turn that form around anyway, even if nothing happens. He's not going to just keep losing like he is now. Yeah. So Becker comes out of it looking absolute 
top class if it works out for him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very it's much. not like you've got, it's straight. not like you've taken somebody who's like forty in the world and you know, struggling to make a breakthrough because you just don't know if they've got the quality. You've just got a very, very good tennis player here who's like a little bit out of form. Well, mm. quite a bit out of form. Mm. Uh, speaking of very, very good tennis players who are quite a bit out of form and into changing coaches, call me a segue artist, why don't you? Uh, Emma Raducanu has been uh, speaking this week. She uh, did an interview with Carthy at the BBC, uh, who's a friend of the show and a friend of mine um, and always does a good job uh, in her various presenting roles. Uh, and yeah, she bagged a big interview with Emma Raducanu, which you will might have heard on the Today programme. You might have read it in my newsletter. You, you will have seen it everywhere, but you've not heard Calvin Beton off the long run yet, <laughs> uh, which I know is what you've all been waiting for. Uh, he's broadly supportive, I'm sure. Um, but, it, well, look, you've, you've also sent in lots of questions uh, along those lines. Um, Andy on email says, what are your thoughts on the Emma Raducanu? comments um as a coach in another sport who reached the top of the coaching qualifications i found the comments more than a little insulting to those in question as a coach surely you want to be challenged by your players it makes you it makes you a better coach having to technically and tactically come up with the answers and build that trust in each other coaching is hard work coaches don't switch off and are always looking to improve their own skills and knowledge and i have more sleepless nights than players I'd be interested in the thoughts from the three of you. All the best as usual. Thanks for the question, Andy. Um, Calvin, I think by now everyone kind of knows what she said, and and the 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 line that made headlines was that I ask my coaches lots of questions, and sometimes they can't keep up, and that has perhaps been why it's not worked out with a few of them. Um, it, uh, Calvin, t- just just tell me what your initial reaction to those comments was, and and maybe if they've changed at all over the week. Uh, well, they're not new comments for starters because they they put her. I don't know if she's explicitly said it herself before, Emma, but uh, uh, people have put this out regularly. It's been and, it's and, certainly been reported before. I think by the BBC actually. If I know yeah, that. like it's something that's you know quite unique, which I don't think it is. Now, what I'll say first of all, I'll say that a good coach, anyway, will always. It's one of the things that you you learn on coaching call and based on coaching theory that you explain why you want to do something first. So if it's on that, then that's no problem. If she's asking, it depends what these questions are that she's asking. If she's, if it's a case of, right, you know, let's do this, let's do this drill. And she's going, all right, well, you know, and it's, and it's termed right, right. What, what's this going to help me with? But then the coach you think would explain that anyway. So I don't, you know, but again, I don't know if she's had good coaches. Some of them have not been, Um, but the flip side of that is, and you know, I've seen it. I've seen it referred to this week as that it's far, and it's 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 very strange with Emma. Well, with tennis players in general, that basically everybody is that these people have these fanatical tennis fans, and Emma Raducanu certainly does. They've already decided what their position on it is anyway, regardless of what she says. And the defenders of it are going, "Oh, it's just it's fantastic because she's got a curiosity of learning." Whereas I thought the wording of what she said, and I've listened to the interview and I've read the quotes, is it doesn't sound like she's got a curiosity of learning. It just like, sounds like she's trying to prove people wrong. And the position that she's come from with the wording of that is that all tennis coaches are shit. I'm basically going to employ them and then I'm going to prove how intelligent I am and how they don't know anything about uh, anywhere near as much about tennis as I do. And we've heard this again, again, not from her. We've heard it from... I don't know whether it was one of her agents or somebody has said that she doesn't think that the 
the te- we keep we kept we went through this period of just hearing about her tennis IQ. Um, her tennis IQ is so huge that nobody can nobody can understand it. Well, which is also absolute bullshit. She doesn't have a bigger tennis IQ than every other tennis player in the top one hundred. I know that much. Um, she doesn't have a bigger tennis IQ than um, Iga Swiatek, does she? Let's have it straight. Or does she have a bigger tennis IQ than anybody? In the t- if she if it's that good, then you know she she'd be winning a lot more other than the two weeks that she's won. Mm. But um, I again, I know plenty of coaches who I'm absolutely certain would have the tennis IQ of Emma Raducanu. But if you come to a position which is what my concern is, that she just thinks my tennis IQ is better than anybody else's and I'm just going to keep asking them to try and prove them wrong. I don't see how you ever get... A, if, if you're making that your, your brand, I suppose, I don't see how you're ever going to have any lasting coaching relationship. If you're going... You know, it's, I, I would be more comfortable with it if, if she didn't know she did it herself. And people went, you know, she just asks a lot of questions and, you know, she wants to know a lot. But when she's now explicitly come out and said it herself, that to me, that to me is worrying because I think that, yeah, you're just, you're, you're, you've now got this thing where you're just going to try and, and also I know this because I know from people who are close to the camp, her, her dad, who she's close with, I don't know, I know she'd fallen, I think somebody told me they've fallen out, but I think they're probably friends again now. Her dad thinks that all tennis coaches are shit. He's explicitly said it. So it wouldn't surprise me if Emma thinks that. And in which case, what's the point in having them? What's the point? Are you just now just... Are you, when you're saying... you and, and, and the wording of it, they couldn't keep up. What couldn't keep up with questions? Like, who who, who are you employing? You know, like, what? I'd, 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 be, pre, I'd be very comfortable talking to Emma Raducanu about anything to do with tennis. <laughs> like, who are these people who can't keep up? <laughs> Like, are they like you know level one coaching assistants that you're employing? <laughs> I think that you're, you're kind of touching on a point between like the you know you're, there's challenging received wisdom and certain practices that might not be useful where it's good to you know collaboratively challenge and say look why are we doing this like this this hasn't been working for us why are we doing this come get to the root of that can we work together to kind of solve it but that, but that's not the same as the person you're working with being like, I don't think they get it. I think they're wrong all the time. That just strikes me as someone who's like, as you say, Kevin, she's not found the solutions herself. She's gone on very poor match winning streaks. Someone who was really figuring out and trying to make everything perfect and right. You'd expect better results or more signs of trying to change things to see match. I mean, how many matches have you watched of Red- Emma Raducanu where you thought, oh, she's done something really different here today. I didn't see that yeah. one coming. There's not, I've never felt there's that much big change. And that's no great criticism. You know, A lot of tennis players don't change it that much. They know what they're doing. It's marginal gains of what they're already doing that they think will get them over the line. But I don't, I, I've never seen anything from her game that I thought, God, that's, that's really revolutionary or different. And it wouldn't necessarily translate through like that. But as Cowan says, it's, it's the framing of the coaches can't keep up with me, but not the the progression on the court to support that. I think if she was flying off, ditching coaches, as you've seen other players do, you know, we've had like Evo ditch coaches before, haven't we? And kind of mm. say, I think I've been doing this long enough now. I'm not sure what a voice in my camp would do for me at the minute. And you can say if he's right or wrong about that, but, you know, he's been there, done it. He 
he had some decent results in that period, and then he picked up a coach and things did go well. But you know, it's not it's not original from that perspective either. I would say this about Evo in that respect, and I think it's a decent <laughs> example, George. There, and I say this because Evo's a friend of mine. And I've had numerous conversations with him about it, even just last week. Evo will tell you he will list eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve loads of good coaches who he knows, some who some who he's worked with and it, it hasn't worked out and some who other players have and he'll go, he's a very good coach and that kind of thing. So he knows what a good coach is. He's he's more talking about what, what they can bring to him. And there are coaches, I think, as well, who he'd love to. I mean, I know that um, his former coach, he thought was a very good coach, but it was the weeks traveling that, that was the concern. He never thought he wasn't a good coach. It was just the number of weeks he could commit to. Whereas... Who does Emma Raducanu think's a good coach? Yeah, I, I mean, the, you know, and if the, you don't the, think the, anybody, if you don't think anybody's a good coach, how do you know what a good coach is? Well, they they said they said. I mean, you know, I spoke to people in in and around in and around Emma Raducanu, um, who said that they were keen on on Sebastian Sachs because he was very detail orientated, um, because he he's a very good mimic. Like as a hitter, apparently, which is which they found was useful. I know, uh, like he hit, he can hit the ball like a woman, basically. Um, was what, what questions did she ask him then? Well, exactly, <laughs> yeah, precisely. I mean, I think to be fair, he also was a badly timed coach because he basically turned up, she immediately got injured, and and was pretty much injured on and off for the next six months. But... It, it, it'd be interesting to know as well because you know, I, I assume Raducanu and Camp think that you. There's some sort of linear value given he's from a financial world between quality and price and why mm. you can't get things better. But it feels a bit odd to me that the on the one hand they've got this position where they don't want to pay a premium for a top coach despite having plenty of money in the bank. And I'm not saying all top coaches who command the biggest fees are the best coaches, by the way. But if you're that sure that the fodder you're getting for the price you're paying at the minute isn't going that well, then they're not fodder either. Some of them have been okay coaches, some of them, you know, you can take or leave. But they're not willing to put the money in the pocket for the top guy. Go and get Wim for set. Everyone knows that guy's an absolutely brilliant guy. I know he's just gone to Osaka. He was kicking around. She could have gone and got him if she yeah. wanted him. But do, Seriously. But do you think, George, if she'd have got him, do you think she'd have just taken it? I, I don't know. I'm speaking out of turn here. And again, I, I'm always cautious of this because I always feel like, and everyone thinks I'm always being critical of Emma Raducanu. And, and I think she's a phenomenal tennis talent. I always have. Like, and the time that I've spent around Emma Raducanu she's been a lovely girl very nice I think her agent apparently is a really nice guy I don't know him but um, you know so it's not me being overly critical of it it's me coming from a coach's point of view that I would have preferred it I like, like I'll go to Winforset first if you're just going to get Winforset in and you're going to go I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to show that I know more about tennis than him and that's just not a great place to start is it it's not a great place but mm. I would what the disappointing thing for me with this interview and from a from a, a tennis fan's point of view and somebody who I think I know a bit about tennis and sport in general this interview I would have liked her to have come across um and the tone being more look I need to get out there and win some tennis matches and start and, and take away all the chaff and all the static that's around me whether that be with a coach that I know or a coach that I don't but I've had I had a very good 2020 21 21. I had a very good 2021 and it's not gone well since then I need to sort my shit out and I need to start winning some tennis matches before I'm laying the blame on anyone else 
I was pretty disappointed that at this stage we get an interview where it's just her going, yeah, I'm, I'm fantastic at everything. And, you know, they can't keep up with me with, and this, this is why the coaches haven't worked out. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's sometimes I've been covering Emre Adekane for so long now and kind of too in it that sometimes you don't have perspective. So uh, my perspective giver in my life is my fiance, And I asked her because she listens to the Today program for two hours every morning. I said, well, did you hear the Radicano interview? She's like, yes. I was like, well, have you listened to the extended version? I sent it to her and she said, yes. And I said, what do you think? And she said, well, she comes off as a bit arrogant. And that, and that, you know, that, that was it. Like, I, I didn't want to say it because it was what I was thinking. And, you know, maybe we're in a group think situation. That's what happens when you start thinking about getting married to someone. But it, it, it did come across as arrogant and I don't know whether that was just an accident or, or whether it's the truth or what and sometimes self-confidence and arrogance look very similar but it's hard I, to listen to I think you know she's been injured right and I, I've, I will say this James I, I, again from my limited time around her I don't think she's arrogant that's not um, mm. That's but I've not spent any time around her since she won US Open so um, but um, it. I'm trying to think of the words to say it here. Was if nothing? What's changed here? Because pre-injury, pre-injury, right? The results weren't great, and we were swapping coaches a lot, and that kind of thing. So what's changed? What? What would have? Again, I'll say the same thing again. What if she'd have come out and said what I've just said? Look, I need to get down to business. I need to get a. Co- I'm, I'm going to get coaching. I'm going to listen. I'm going to find a coach who I trust. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to ask him some. I, I, you know, I'll ask him some questions. I'll, I, I like things explaining to me. Like you can say that I, li- I like to, you know, I like to be engaged in the session. I like to be engaged in my own development, and you know, I, so I do like to uh, ask some questions. But I need to get down to winning some tennis matches. I need to, I need to get a coach. I need to put some trust in them. I'm going to explain it, but I need to. I need this is on me. Mm. I need to win some tennis matches here. Instead, we haven't really heard anything from Emma Raducanu for a few months, six, seven months. And she's come out and basically said the exact same lines that that her and her te- well her team have been saying, and it seemed to me like it was a little bit scripted. Yeah, it could have been a plan. I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, it, she must have known that question was coming, and you know, people you do prepare for these interviews. I I don't know. I, I, why it, Why wouldn't you say if she knew that question was coming, James? Why wouldn't she could have addressed this thing because I've heard, you know, we've all heard this stuff before. Her, her people have said it all the time that she questions the coach. She asks a lot of yeah. questions, which isn't itself a bad thing. Why not explain it as to why you do that? Yeah. And go, yeah, you know, I do ask a lot. Of, like I've just said there, go, yeah, I like to, I do like a lot of questions. I like to, and I've said this before, right? That coaching at that level and what I do in doubles, which is at that level, coach two players. Now we're both ranked above Emma Raducanu in doubles, so it's, <coughs> you know it's, it's the same. Um, you know the, the 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 principles are the same. Coaching is basically conversations. Mm. It's not me going. I, Henry just lost a match now before we went on air. I've had half an hour of text conversation with him. It's not me going. You did this, this, and this, and this. It's <laughs> like you know what do you think to that? How do you think you can get that better? What you know what what do you think the next? What, what do you think we can get better at? And that kind of thing. It is conversations. Why not just say that? Why why don't you just address it? Go, yeah. People say I'm, I'm always pestering for questions. What I'm saying is, I just like to know what what we're doing. Yeah, I like yeah. to know where how this is going to get me from from A to B. Not that what she said sounded like she was just trying to catch people out. 
Yeah. Is it? It is quite funny you say that, Cal, because I know I know we shouldn't draw the comparisons between football and tennis too much. But as a as a Villa fan, I've become obviously. I wondered very, how long it would take you to bring up Villa at the moment. Very enriched in kind of Unai Emery and what he's all about, and you know they're saying he spends all week analysing all this footage he puts like four coaches around one individual player sort of micromanaging every sort of aspect of what they're doing and trying to control this whole team thing I mean there are coaches out there that uh, it is different in a kind of team sport where you're positioning players and passages of play but there are does that sort of thing exist in tennis is there someone just sitting there watching everything thinking this is exactly what you need to do in this moment this moment this moment and kind of trying to choreograph it that I've way. seen it but it's more open I mean doubles is you know doubles is quite like that you can micromanage quite a bit in doubles because it's more predictable singles there's so many things that can happen I don't think you can do that you can't go you can't go if the ball goes here then this will happen then this will happen from that and then this will have to happen from that that's just not how it works from from opponent to opponent but I have seen coaches who are very, very big micromanagers. But again, there's different types of coaches. Like, and what... I saw somebody make a fair point the other day, right? The questions, these questions, right, do them in the interview. Don't don't employ somebody and then get, you know, and go, right, what's your coaching philosophy, right? And why, why do you think that that's the best way to do it? Can you explain that to me, right? Don't get on the court and then go, Think oh right, I'm going to show my coach up today. Like, yeah, that's, it, I, yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get what you think you're getting from that, and I don't get what you think you're getting from talking about it. There's only it's, one way to solve this, Gavin. It's get you on court with Emma Raducanu. I would no, listen. I wouldn't go near the job. <laughs> I, I wouldn't because why? I, I wouldn't because you. It's it's not good for your reputation. It's you know and. I, and I, I like to think as well that I have... I don't have as much money as I'd like, but I like to think, it depends what the cheque would be. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> Not ruling himself out. But no. Right. <laughs> I, I'd like to... I'd like to think that I've got some sort of self-respect and I'm not going to go work with somebody who's going to go, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show this person up. Yeah. I'm going to try and embarrass this person in the, in the sessions that we're going to do together. Mm. Those are the players I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go near. Players who I think are good players. But, you know, what I know is that players I work with now, we have a mutual respect and we go, you know, and, it's, and if, if it doesn't get that way, then we'll start working together. But I know that it's, you know, they can ask, they ask me questions all the time, but mm. you know, what, what, you know, and I'll say, look, and we're both, we've both been in situations like, you know, I've been in situations in the last year where I've, I've, I've set something up a drill and I thought this is fucking rubbish. This is not working. <laughs> and I'm just going, right, let's end it there. Right. And then they've gone, yeah, that was crap. And I don't take offence to it. No. You know, they've said it first. Like, you know, I remember I had a, like, mini argument with Henry and Delray this year when we were doing a drill, and he was like, "This, this no one's engaged in this. And I, I lost my head a bit on it, but in the end, he was right. No one was engaged in it. Yeah. But it's not like every single drill that we do, they're going to try and pr- prove that this drill's shit. And I'm really yeah. tempted to like cut in a voice note from Henry now to like get yeah, the yeah. other side of the story, the big Delray bust up. <laughs> I maintain, I maintain. If you do do that, and you get Henry to do that before, um, before I get a chance to reply, I remain that he did three double faults in a row, and that's why the drill was crap. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't uh, having him, you weren't feeding out of a. Dropping the ball out of the basket. <laughs> no, we That's your favourite no. drill, I've heard. <laughs> no. I'll tell you what we're doing, because people might find it interesting. We were doing, we're just playing points, but 
in doubles, you actually you obviously have to stay or you cross. Okay, like when you're serving, the the service partner, you, the server and the service partner stay or they cross. Now, what what I I thought because we'd just been on indoor hard, we weren't we weren't playing enough first volleys, so I wanted them to play more first volleys. So I said, right, you've got to tell the returner what you're doing, so they know how to avoid the net player. Um, so you're going to save. So then, if they know you're going to cross, they're going to return line, etc. Um, and in theory, stuff stuff happens like that. In theory, I thought it worked. It didn't work. It was too. It wasn't realistic enough. Um, and Henry spotted it before I, I, I kind of knew as well, but I didn't want to admit it. My ego was a bit too big, but <laughs> you, you know, it was like, and he said, you know, it's just not engaging anybody. But like I say, he did serve three double faults, so that's like, <laughs> like, but, but, um, but no, it's, it, you know, but that, that kind of stuff can happen, but that's mm. not coming out and going, you know, this is just not. You know, you're not trying to sh- you're not trying to show the person up and going. You can't keep up with me. Yeah. Like they can't they can't keep up with my questions. Like, what, what, yeah. what it, does that mean? As I, as I said to you, my instant reaction was like, I don't think it's a, a way to create a good collaborative relationship. Um, but yeah, I mean, interesting to see what happens. And you know, Abraham will be back on court. In December, we believe, with a, an exhibition in uh, in China, that's going to be her comeback, and then working towards the Australian Open. We're not sure of her schedule yet. Um, probably see her in Auckland. I think that seems to be the most likely one, where she obviously did her ankle last year. But um, that feels like it might be an obvious way back in terms of competitive tennis. Um, speaking of exhibitions, uh, Saudi Arabia is back. Uh, Novak Djokovic is going to play Carlos Alcaraz on December the twenty seventh. Uh, the title of my um, personal newsletter this week, not just tennis is the, the name of it, um, was Saudi Arabia has won the argument. And increasingly, I feel that they have by sheer weight of cash uh, and that we are now in a situation where basically everyone will be going. Um, I think it was John Wertheim uh, that reporting this week that Saudi Arabia eyeing up a Masters tournament from 2025. Um everyone who listens to this podcast knows we all think this is a deeply depressing state of affairs george is it is it is it, is it, is it are there any silver linings here <laughs> um pot- potentially one which i'll come to i mean I, I would say to start with that it is it is funny in inverted commas funny not half ha- funny how the world has moved on um on on this issue so much since whatever it was, maybe seven, six years ago, five years ago, when Nadal and Djokovic were due to play at the same time in Saudi Arabia. That was a big story at the time. Like, I can't believe they'd go and do this. I obviously, was closer to uh, Karsoggi's murder, mm. um, the journalist. Um, but now, no one bats an eyelid, do they? I mean, just, it's not even a story in that sense. It's, it's reported as, oh yeah, they're going to make shitloads of money at an exhibition, but there's not there's not that same interest and, you know, sports kind of gone well beyond that line. What I would say, and this, you know, I'm sure people might not disagree, might not agree with this, is at the stage we're at, there's potentially a lot more positives in succumbing to a Masters event rather than handing over the keys to the whole thing then they get bored of it and the product's in the complete mud. 10 years down the line in, versus just conceding one small pocket of it rather than thinking, God, let's sell the whole thing to it. Because I, I do think in many sports that, 
that is potentially the conversation. It's, it still may well be the conversation with tennis. You know, the products like the WTA at the minute are financially not as well um, loved or supported as, say, like the Premier League in football or, you know, for, at the minute as it is. The ATP has a lot more kind of revenue to play around with, um, but not so much that they would, I think, be bulking at huge Saudi millions or billions or whatever it might be. Um, so potentially from that perspective, and it's probably a good one to sweeten the players in terms of a big prize money event they can add to the calendar, boost a lot of earnings, have a really high, you know, grand, probably, you know, a Grand Slam equivalent sort of first round prize money or whatever. Five million for the winner. That that was probably not a bad PR deal for tennis amidst the wider context. I know that's a pretty grim reality, but in the sliding scale, that's my attempt at a silver lining. And it's not I mean, a very good one that's convincing you to, I suspect. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I always think what would have happened if the pandemic hadn't come along. Because that WTA finals that Ash Barty won, she was the it was the biggest prize ever in women's tennis. And I always think if the pandemic hadn't come along when it did, that women would have like started looking at the Grand Slams or like other tournaments and going like, Well why don't we just move them all to China? Like if they're gonna pay us this money, what what like why are we bothering like playing this when I can go to China and make X money? And you know and, and I just think the pandemic kind of just sort of distracted everyone basically. And obviously we didn't have tennis in China for four years and but that conversation will come around again. If, if we have a Saudi Masters and it's the biggest prize pool ever in tennis, I guarantee you, and Calvin, I'm sure I've asked you this question before, but a, a, is the locker room not just full of players going, where do I sign and, and when's the next flight? Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, most of them. I think so, yeah. What I'm interested to know is on that, because the Masters are mandatory, what happens if there are some players, and I would hope that there are, I don't hold much faith in that there are, but <laughs> what would happen if... If you know a couple of players went, I'm not going. Yeah, it's not what I want to do, and and you're going to take ranking points off them because they don't want it because they legitimately don't want to go to Saudi Arabia. Or, Did anyone or, or, take you know, that dance on China this year for the kind of bunch race? No masters, or is there? Well, I guess for the men, there's oh no, Shanghai. Shanghai. Was one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah I don't think so off the top of my head. I mean, I suppose the one you would think of, or I mean, look, there are lots of openly gay players on the WTA and. If it was a WTA mandatory or whatever they call them these days, and you're an openly gay player, do you, like, do you really want to go to a country where it's illegal to be gay? Like, that that would <laughs> that would shake my morals to to the core. I always I think. find this I always find this strange though. Like, what do they? Because in that theory, like, how are they letting them in? Well, you know, the, so they, the Qatar kind of said this, like they sort almost like a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing, like. Oh no, it's fine. You can come if you're gay. Just like, just be subtle about it. Was basically the sort of advice. Yeah, but then I thought this was all to do with Allah, and you know, it seems like pretty loose, um, pretty loose ruling of the Quran, isn't there? When it when it when it <laughs> well, helps. The, the Quran, without wanting to get into too much hot water, <laughs> oh, yeah. the Quran is very much open to interpretation. Um, <laughs> what a religious book? Are you sure? Like, sounds... yeah. But um, again, you know, this is what I'm, this is part of how ridiculous it is, though. Like we have these rules that are non-bending until we think that it can promote us a bit, little bit, and then yeah, yeah, come in, just don't don't talk about it. Well, I mean that's that's the reality of it. And look, I mean, I as I said, I have kind of conceded that um, 
that Saudi Arabia is the centre of the sporting world now, or if it's not already, it will be in the next five to ten years. Well, I suspect we'll have Premier League matches played there, um, I've, or at least Champions League matches. They'll probably have a Champions League final there within the next, I would say, ten years. That seems like the obvious. I know, George, you're already dreaming of Champions League finals because that's their world. That, would, that would take the gloss of it a bit with Villa <laughs> win the Champions League. For Ollie the Watkins time. screaming down the wing in Riyadh. Um, but, you know, I think what we have to do now is, like, if Saudi Arabia say, you know, we want to use sport to help modernise the country, like, let's bloody make them do it then. Like, let's make them have, let, let's, like, force them to have elections. Let's, let, no one's going to do this. But if I was, you know, if any of these sporting bodies had any moral fibre they'd say okay well show us show us some evidence of progress like prove to us that sport is helping to modernize not just like holding a few clinics for women like around the tournament because th- th- that's the thing they know they can really win on is the women's sports stuff and they did it i was at a conference where the saudi pro league board member and there was a head of women's football in saudi arabia and they were up on stage saying oh we've got so many workshops for, to tell women they can come play football and we've got a women's team we want to host the women's world cup in 2035 that's really easy but like the reality is that's on their terms and it's great and it's really good that women in saudi arabia are given the opportunity to play sport more but it's on their terms and actually we should be saying no no you should be giving women the right to vote of course to vote you have to have elections which i think saudi arabia did sort of have one election once um they've not had one since but you know in the end it's a it's it's a dictatorship like it's all very well calling it the crown prince he's not the crown prince he's the dictator and i think until that changes i don't really see it as being a country where i want to be doing lots of business I think something that is interesting there. I was talking to a former player last week, an older player from, I guess, say from my generation, um, and they were talking about how um, a top former top top thirty in the world player, um, and and we were talking not specifically about Saudi Arabia, but China and and the Middle East and this kind of thing. And he was saying that, and I'd not thought about it from this respect. He was saying that. They were, you know, him and his peers were wealthy. They'd made enough money. I think this guy was top 10 in the world. He wasn't top 30. Um, but uh, he said, you know, we'd made so much money. But, you know, basically we wanted to go to the places that we enjoyed because we, you know, we we liked the tournaments and then we'd, we'd socialise. It's like now these these guys, they don't socialise. They they play their matches. They deliver room and they stay in their, stay in their bedrooms and go on Instagram. And he's like, so it doesn't make any difference. They'll go, he's saying then, they'll go Saudi Arabia. They'll go China. It doesn't make any difference. It's another tennis centre for them. Another black town. Whereas, whereas he was centers. saying, you know, when we were playing, meaning him and his peers, he's like, when we were playing, you know, we we wanted to it had to be something because there was no, you know, it sounds like really old. It's like there's no mobile phones or anything. We wanted to go out, mm. you know, and it's you wanted to enjoy, see a bit, not just saying go out on the on the piss all the time, but you wanted to go and see a bit of the city and that kind of thing. It's like these guys now, they. They don't even go to restaurants anymore. Their delivery win. What's the Saudi Arabian equivalent of the dog and fox? (laughs) (laughs) Can't drink, can you? No. I mean, what's the point, frankly? (laughs) Um, But it does look... I mean, the sporting events just look so crap, don't they? When they're there. Yeah. Like, the boxing is just like... It's so rubbish. There's about 100 people there, and they don't say a word. Yeah, someone told me the other day, well, I say someone, a, a member of Saudi attaché 
told me the other day that Saudi Arabia has a population of 35 million people. And I was like, that's loads. Where are they all? It's massive, like, though, isn't it? I don't realise how big it is. You yeah, look it's on a geographically map, very like, big, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like when you compare it to other countries. I was looking at I mean, it wasn't looking at it. There was a, it was on the, with the Israeli and Palestine thing that was mm. like there, and it's it's down there, and you think, geez, it's absolutely massive. Yeah. Biggest yeah. country in Africa, isn't it? Uh, well, it's not in Africa. Uh, is it not? What is yeah. it, Asia? Yeah, it's technically mm. Asia. The Middle East is in Asia. Is it, right? Um, oh, found a little hole in Calvin's knowledge there. A little, I always little... thought it was Africa. There we go. That's one for the Tennis Unfiltered pub quiz. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's also difficult, and I, I wrote this the other day, and I hope people don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Like When I criticise Saudi Arabia, I don't mean people from Saudi Arabia. I, know, I actually know quite a few people from Saudi Arabia because there are lots of people from Saudi Arabia involved in sport now and I've met a few people and they're all very pleasant and when I say I don't like Saudi Arabia this or I don't like Saudi Arabia that what I mean is the regime what I mean is the dictator and the family members that he employs to run the country and to oppress people and imprison people who tweet dissident things Um, they are the, the people who really deserve the criticism and they are the people who are bankrolling this diversification of their economy um, also known as sports washing and it's working um, and good for them, it works for Abu Dhabi and they looked at the UAE and went we'll have a piece of that and uh, now they're giving it their own go um, the UAE incidentally I don't think they've had elections there either Qatar, they had an election since World Cup they stopped employing subminimum wage migrant labour, no these things don't change, don't don't drink the Kool-Aid that these taking these major tournaments to these countries changes the way these countries are the USA is not going to change when they have the World Cup in four years' time. Neither is Spain or Portugal or Morocco. They might be good, they might be bad, but they're not going to change because they're a sporting event. It's one of those, isn't it? If they wanted to get good publicity, the best way they could do it is go, we are changing, we're not paying for anything. <laughs> you know, like, rather than going, we're paying a fortune to have some tennis tournaments here, they could just go, we're going to let women have votes. They get a load of good publicity then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're going to have a free and fair election. That that would be a yeah. pretty good PR. Doesn't cost move. you anything. Doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> but I, th- I mean, it's, I think as, as well that like the the bigger it's just depressing in sport now. Like everyone knows it's going on, and you can mm. see it happening. Yeah, you can see it happening. You can. I'd, I'd be interested to know how it affects tennis. I mean, cause it really has affected football fans. Like the sports washing has one hundred percent worked in football, mm. where you've got. You've got actual people from Manchester and Newcastle raving about the countries that their owners are from. Yeah. Like for no reason. But I don't know if it'll work with tennis though. Just cause it's people the fans don't love like it'll only work for tennis if you get Saudi Arabia player. I mean I've I've seen like it, it wasn't Saudi Arabia, but years ago when Djokovic was arguing to move um Wimbledon to Abu Dhabi or wherever it yeah. was. But, yeah, people were on board of that with crocodiles in the handles. Oh, <laughs> You'll be shocked to hear. <laughs> true, yeah. You know, it, 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 it does just take the old math player. I, I, I can't I would... wait to see where he who shall not be named is going to land in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I mean, the first plane from Derby. I, I, I think the bigger issue they've got in tennis is have, have they missed the boat a bit? In terms of the influential people, I mean, you're probably hoping it happens from their perspective in the next couple of years that Djokovic can bring an army of alligators with him. But beyond that, 
who, who, who at the minute is actually got such a big fan base that they are willing Carlos to Alcaraz. change it? I mean, did, but, they, but does he ha- does he have it right now just yet? Probably, and if he does, probably he does will somewhere. Yeah. He, he will, sure. But that's just one one player. Whereas you've just gone from having Federer, Serena, uh, you know, you've, you could have players who open their mouths and they'd have been convinced it was the greatest fight for equality by going to Saudi Arabia or whatever. You know, it's, it's not the, like that at the moment. The depressing thing for me is, especially on the men's game. I think the women's is a little bit different, but the men's game. Who do you see standing up for this? Who's well, the guy who you got? Gonna... wasn't going to, was it? He's no. Sort of, was Who's no, the guy Ma- who Murray, gonna go? Murray said, oh, Murray was all very against playing in Saudi Arabia until they said they were going to have a ranking event there. And then he went, well, it would be difficult to say no if there are ranking points yeah. involved. I was like, is that really your line, Andy? Like, like you'll turn down millions of dollars, but if you can win 17 points, then you're going to go. <laughs> Got yeah. a price on points, James. Yeah, it's just a bit depressed. Like you know, the WTA have got a few. Like Kasatkina, I think, will be mm. quite outspoken about it. Um, I mean, Coco I think Goff but... might be. I mean, I can yeah. see Coco Goff. Yeah, is a great example. Yeah. Um, There's not many know, activists it's... in the top twenty of the ATP, are there? Well, no, and I think that's the worrying thing. They're just gonna again. It's probably why they're you know probably why there's no characters. Who's who's the real? Who's the character there who's going to go? I mean, I know that. I know that John McEnroe has been very outspoken against it, um, mm. but again, he's sixty years old or whatever he is. Billie Jean King was briefly outspoken against it and then changed her mind. Changed her mind when she found out they were rich. <laughs> who is it who runs a dog's home? Is it Denis Shapovalov that runs a dog's home? That's the only like thing, like activism thing I can think of. Stefano Sitspas was going to open a school in Melbourne if he won the Australian Open, and we all know how that ended. <laughs> Um, some of the some of the blokes are a bit on um, environmental stuff, aren't they? For wrinkling team and water bottles and using plastic again. Well, I know it's funny soft... actually because I know there's a lot of um, a lot of the players are getting a bit pissed off about that net um, carbon offsetting app that oh, they've all got now. Yeah, they tweeted. Who was it? Mackenzie McDonald offset twenty one of his twenty two tournaments. I saw. I was thinking, yeah. Mackenzie, you could have had the the. the the yeah, he could have just filled it up. The feeling is that it doesn't actually do anything. Oh, no, carbon my... offsetting. I mean, my, my partner is much better on this stuff than me, but carbon offsetting is basically bullshit. Um, yeah. Like, it's a very, it's a reasonably clever piece of bullshit. It's, bullshit. <laughs> it's not Denis Shapovalov who has the dog's home, by the way. It's um, Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. Um, I know why I've made that confusion. It's the hair. Um, yeah. But yeah, good. For... I'm sure there are other players who do lots of. Worthy. I mean, Novak Djokovic, for example, has a massive foundation and has like educated hundreds of thousands of kids. Um, but yes, in in the up and comers, I don't know who the big the big activists are. But um, let us know if your favourite player has like done some really great work. I, I would love to hear about it. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people. Uh, let's have a quick run around some of the sort of title winners uh, over the last seven days. Ben Shelton winning his maiden ATP title in Tokyo against Aslan Karatsev. Um, Sasha Bublik winning in Antwerp after a good week for Arthur Feast, but he could not get anywhere near uh, Alexander Bublik in the final. Uh, Gelman Feast, we've already mentioned. Petros and Stefanos Tsitsipas, Calvin. <laughs> doubles title. Can't deny mm-hmm. it anymore. Yeah. Tsitsipas is real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. I, I 
I look forward to you coming up against them at some point. I can't wait. Can't <laughs> wait. We, we'll have to if if you get drawn them, James and I are going to have to we'll book fly a day out. off work. We'll yeah. fly out <laughs> and we'll do a live I'm, hit by hit podcast. I love that draw. <laughs> uh, the, you, Calvin, this is getting dangerously Kevin Keegan. Yeah, I'd love it if we I'd love it. I'd love it. I mean, to be fair, like Stefanos is just a genuinely good tennis player. For all yeah. he's a he's a fool, you know. It's like, <laughs> like you know, he's and I don't know which side he plays actually. Whether he plays Juice or Ad, they change. We played Luke and Julian played against them in an exhibition in the summer, but they changed sides. They played a set each way. Mm. Um, so that's the thing about Sissipas squared. They can play anywhere they want. Yeah, yeah. back side yeah. side diagonals. Yeah. No, I'll, no I'm, I'm, I'll say this as well. Like Petros gets some stick, but Petros is not a terrible tennis player. Like he's not a terrible doubles player. Like he's his ranking is inflated because he plays with his brother a lot, mm. who's a genuinely brilliant tennis player. But it's not like he's an idiot who can't play tennis. He's a, he's a you know he's he's a good he's a solid tennis player. He's no Skippy or whatever he was called. No, no one's that. Oh, the great, there's, there's, the there's a lot worse, you know. There's a lot worse tennis players in the top two hundred doubles than than Petros. Hmm. All right, I'll take your word for it. Um, but as I say, I, I'm going to need to have a word with the uh, the ATP and see if we can rig that draw and absolutely die for it. Um, <laughs> winners on the WTA tour uh, over the last week: uh, Tamara Korpach picking up a title. Uh, Katarina Sinyakova winning in Nanchang uh, and Elise Mertens still going uh, winning 6-3-6 love over Jasmine Pali to win in Monastir the Tunisian tournament um, should have a, a word for Jodie Burridge who won a doubles title uh, in Romania in Cluj this week with Jill Teichman which is uh, just worth mentioning uh, also a word for Craig Veal who uh, is her coach but presumably is otherwise engaged because he's just made a new addition to his own team uh, so congratulations to Craig, friend of the podcast and friend of Calvin and fitness. Um, so uh, congratulations to him. Uh, who else? Have I, I think I've mentioned everyone. George, is there anything else you wanted to to pick out? Or I know you've written down Tony Nadal, but that feels like a big conversation for another day. Yeah, I feel like we've, we've, we've exhausted the size of conversations. We could, we could do that another week. That yes. could be an off, off-season one. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think of, of those titles, just... I think the Ben Shelton one's the most interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, a sure. guy who's now kind of top 15 in the world, made a Grand Slam semi-exciting young player who is from a big sporting nation that needs a bit of a kick for tennis. I think potentially big year coming ahead mm. for him, hopefully. We, we can oh, hope I anywhere. Saw, I saw someone, it was posted on... Um... I can't remember which social media it was, but like the top comment was he it was like his interview after winning, and the top comment was like that's more like it, humble and hungry. And I was like, oh fuck off, honestly. Like if I hear one more tennis player go, oh, I'm just hungry. Like I, I don't care. Like like let let's embrace some characters. Like I hate to agree with Nick Kyrgios, and it's the second time we've done it on the podcast, and that is dangerous. But. You know, tennis sometimes does need characters. Otherwise, God knows where we're going. I don't agree with Nick Kyrgios that the media, like, somehow refuses to accept characters. If anything, <laughs> it's the public that is just trying to crush them. But anyway, yes, you're right. I think that is the biggest title there. Um, Calvin, I mean, I know you're a big Ben Shelton fan. It's just it's good to see him in some Nick and another monkey off his back, another title. First of many, you think? 
Yeah, you think so. He looks on his way to um, top ten, doesn't he? Um, which is, yeah. you know, I, I think you know that that'd be good if you could get if you could get a seeding at the Aussie uh, a top eight seeding at the Aussie Open. Makes a good. big difference. Yeah, once you yeah. crack that top eight, you're, you're just, your draw gets so much easier in the but first. It, yeah, but also need to win just... Paris for that. that <sighs> Maybe, but um, yeah, or even top sixteen would be good. Just you know, get the best matches at the latter end of the tournament. Yeah. Like you know, he'll draw, he'll draw Kyrgios round one and go out. <laughs> what, I mean, did Kyrgios still play tennis? He'll be there winning. He's got round no one. ATP points. <laughs> no ATP no points. points. Not not <laughs> officially. I've I've said it for a while. He's a part time tennis player. I'm changing that now. He's he's not a professional tennis player. <laughs> Presumably, he has a protected ranking. Okay. Yeah, I think it's like twelve or something as well. Yeah. Like I'm sure he's eager to get. Is he actually injured? Right. Well, from what I'm told, it's not. I mean, at the moment, no. I'd not yeah. rather know. I mean, um, I was told that he's he's not really been injured at all. Well, I mean, he had surgery on his knee. Like, I think that's that you can't in the in the Calvin Beton like list of players <laughs> who say they're injured and aren't. I think having surgery on your that, knee. That's not my opinion. I was told at the U.S. Open by one of his friends that he's not injured. Okay. I mean, I, I, I would, I would believe that he missed the U.S. Open because he didn't fancy it. I would, I would believe that yeah. for sure. He'll um, play in Australia. I'd have thought. Yeah, I think he'll turn up. I, th- I, I, and I think you know, I do think that he, he did everything he could to play last time. Wimbledon. Like, yeah. No, oh Wimbledon. Oh, and Australia. Yeah, maybe, but um, certainly Australia. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll see him. I'll be there. I've booked my flights. See you in Ooh. Melbourne, Nick. I look. Have you got a visa? Oh yeah, just got my visa through as well. It's surprisingly easy these days. Um, I've just got to actually get some accreditation for the tournament. That's my the only remaining hurdle. So. Well, we'll see James Gray outside the gates of Melbourne Park <laughs> every morning by the Yarra. Fifteen days, I'd be fine. Sat by the river in the That'd sun, be great. have a few what beers. Time. That'd be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we've gone on quite long enough. Thanks so much for listening. As always, leave us a rating review. I'll read them out if they're good and. If they're bad, we'll just bitch about them in our WhatsApp group. Um, <laughs> drop us an email, tennisunfiltered at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, um, YouTube even, and you can see our lovely faces. But most importantly, please come back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.